Many Christians live with a sense of condemnation and fear of God's judgment. They believe that because they have failed to be good enough, righteous enough, or faithful enough, God is somehow displeased with them, or worse, condemning them. Coming up next on Daily in Christ, the fantastic news of God's grace in the New Covenant. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, your host and teacher of God's Word. You know, it's true, many Christians live with a sense of dread of God's judgment against them. Now, I'm not talking about unbelievers here. I'm talking about Christians struggling with this. But as we have seen throughout the book of Hebrews, the book about the new covenant, God's love and acceptance of us is not based upon our goodness, but upon His goodness. And that makes a great difference. Last time we were in Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we were reading some, well, very scary verses that uh, are taking place beginning in verse 18. And I want to uh, go ahead and read those verses. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now, in the last episode, we talked about this mountain that's being spoken of, which is Mount Sinai, which represents the law. Israel had said to God in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, all that the Lord commands us, we will do. Those words in Exodus 19.8 are some of the most arrogant words in all of the Bible. Why? They're self-righteous. They are fleshly. They are repulsive to God. And so God responded to them with law terror. The Bible says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, that the law is a ministry of death and condemnation. Mount Sinai had so much terror, God was unapproachable. We talked about how the law, what the law does or accomplishes, is that it condemns the sinner. It provokes sin in the life of a sinner. And God is unapproachable because he is holy and the sinner is not. Now, if you missed that episode, it's important to download it, to listen to it, and uh, find out more because we spend quite a bit of time talking about that uh, law covenant represented by Mount Sinai. But here we are at the beginning of some wonderful verses. And actually, in verse 18, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that mountain of law, that mountain that is a ministry of, of death and condemnation. You have not come to this fearful, terrible mountain known as Mount Sinai, but we have come to a totally different mountain, to a life experience with God that is truly wonderful. 
And this is where we are in today's encouraging lesson. Well, I want to continue forward now in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And if you have your Bible handy, it makes such a big difference. If you can be reading along with us and looking at the word yourself. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And before we continue, let's take some time before we continue in the word of the Lord to talk to the Lord of the word. Father, you are good and you are holy and you are righteous. Father, I'm thinking of the words that Jesus spoke when the rich young ruler came running up to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you stopped him short, Lord, and you said, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And Lord, this is true. You are good. You are God. And you are the source of all that is good and holy and righteous and true. And Father, as we begin this time together around your word, the Holy Bible, Lord, we do not rely upon our human understanding and our human experience and human words, but rather, Father, we rely upon the Holy Spirit who inspired this scripture. Now, Father, I pray that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the fuller, greater, higher, better knowledge of you and the eyes of our heart being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of our calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead, seating him above all principality and power and might and dominion. And Lord, you did give him to be head over all things to the church, which is the fullness of you who fills all in all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, indeed, we have not come to this mountain of fearful judgment, but we have come to something so much better. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24 in our focus for today. I cannot emphasize this enough. The Bible is abundantly clear about the huge difference between the covenant of law, sometimes known as the old covenant, and the covenant of grace, the new covenant. The law is inferior. And the reason why it's inferior is that it is centered on us and our so-called righteousness. Grace is infinitely superior because it is centered on Jesus and his righteousness. There is a huge difference and contrast between the covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. As we said in the last lesson, the book of Hebrews is filled with striking contrasts between the old covenant of law and 
and the new covenant of grace. Here's some of those contrasts that we have found in the book of Hebrews. Now, in the covenant of law, Moses was a servant in the house of God, whereas in the new covenant, Jesus is a son over his own house. That's in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. In the law covenant, sinful priests are carrying out all of the ceremonies and the rites and even the sacrifices. Versus in the new covenant, we have Jesus, who is the perfect, sinless high priest, who is also the Son of God. And therefore, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. That's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, and also in Hebrews 7, verse 27. The law covenant uh, brings imperfect sacrifices with the blood of animals versus the new covenant sacrifice with Jesus' perfect blood. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. The law covenant has imperfect, never-ending sacrifices that are repeated on and on and on. And all it really does is continuous sin consciousness versus the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ done once for all time. And that's also in Hebrews chapter 10. We see in the law covenant that Jesus ministers perfectly on our behalf before the throne of God. And in the law covenant, the work for righteousness is never done. But in the new covenant, Jesus has perfectly completed for us all that was necessary for our righteousness and good standing with God. As a result, God is resting because he has finished his work. And we have entered into God's rest. And we talked about this way back when we were looking at Hebrews chapter 4. God is resting not because he's tired and he needs to recuperate. Isn't he almighty God, El Shaddai? God is all-powerful. The reason why he rests is not fatigue. The reason why he rests is he is finished. Think about the last word that Jesus spoke from the cross. All was fulfilled, and he said, Tetelestai. That is the Greek word for finished. And it's in the Greek perfect tense, which represents the sense of action, which is done at one point in time, at one time, never to be repeated again. That's the perfect tense in the Greek. And that word, tetelestai, is finished in the perfect tense. Now, that's amazing news. That's what the Lord Jesus has accomplished. That is what is secured in the finished work of the new covenant. Now, today, we look at the joyful reality of the new covenant as portrayed here in Hebrews chapter 12 as Mount Zion. As we are reading in Hebrews chapter 12, it said, But you have not come to Mount Sinai, the dreadful mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion, verse 22, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, many of us have heard the word Zion or Mount Zion uh, many times 
if we've been any kind of a student in the Bible, but it doesn't really track with us. We really, most of us, can't relate with this term, Mount Zion. But from God's perspective, Mount Zion represents this. It represents God's wonderful purposes for his people. It represents God's dwelling place, as well as the dwelling place for his people. And Mount Zion represents the place of the King of Kings. Probably the best place in all of Scripture to get an understanding of what Mount Zion means to God and therefore means to us is found in Psalm 48. So if you will flip your Bible back to the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 48. And here's what it says, the glory of God in Zion. Actually, that's the heading on my particular Bible, but it says this, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful and elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of a women in birth pangs, as when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. That's in Psalm 48, and that's powerful indeed. God has some wonderful purposes in the lives of his people. And it's represented by Mount Zion throughout the scriptures, not just in Psalm 48. For instance, Mount Zion means the rule and the reign of God. He is in control, not the governments of men. Psalm 2.6 says this, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Psalm 2 verse 6. Mount Zion also means joy. Uh, as we read in Psalm 48, verse 2, it says, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Mount Zion is God's dwelling place. Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14 uh, says this, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14. Mount Zion represents the greatness of God with us. Isaiah, verse 12, 
uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 6 says, Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Isaiah 12, 6. Mount Zion is a refuge for his people. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 32 says, What will they answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. Isaiah 14, verse 32. Mount Zion is where God lays his foundation stone, Jesus. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah 28, verse 16. And by the way, that uh, stone for a foundation that the Lord says he will lay. Uh, in the New Testament, we find out that stone, that cornerstone, is the Lord Jesus himself. Mount Zion is where the redeemed of the Lord belong. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 11 and 16. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then in verse 16, the Lord is speaking and says, And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, You are my people. Mount Zion is where the Redeemer comes to the repentant. Isaiah 59 verse 20 says this, The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Isaiah 59 verse 20. Mount Zion is the place where even our enemies are humbled. Isaiah 60 verse 14 says, Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 60 verse 14. There is salvation in Mount Zion. Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Joel 2 verse 32. Mount Zion is where ungodliness is dispelled. Romans 11.26 says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's in Romans 11.26. Mount Zion is the Jerusalem of freedom. And we see this in Galatians 4, verse 26, which says, But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And Mount Zion is where the Lamb of God stands. Revelation 14, 1. 
Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Revelation 14, verse 1. Now, as I've gone through all of those different points in different places of the scripture, it's almost like a symphony that God has composed about Mount Zion. Mount Zion, again, represents from God's perspective his wonderful purposes for his people, including you and me. Mount Zion represents God's dwelling place as well as the dwelling place for his people. In other words, it represents home. And Mount Zion represents the place of the king of kings, the the throne, the, the place of rule of the king of kings. So this idea of Mount Zion in the Bible is huge. It's big. And it's important for us to grasp and get a hold of this through the scripture. Now, someone might say, well, that's nice. I can hardly wait to get to heaven to experience that. But Mark, I'm struggling in the here and now. Now, did you see what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 says? It says, but you have come, past tense, to Mount Zion. You see, you don't need to wait until heaven to enjoy all of these wonderful benefits that the Lord is portraying in Mount Zion, which points to the reality of the so much better of the new covenant. You see, all of these benefits are yours now, believer. You are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is your now reality. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more later on about why it is that sometimes Christians have a hard time accepting this and enjoying it. But let's continue in our study. We want to get back to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 in uh, verse 22 and just kind of walk through what's here. Now that we've set up an excellent background of what Zion is scripturally and all that God means in his heart for that place, as the dwelling place for himself and his people, we've got a much better backdrop and foundation for understanding. Again, I want to point out what it says in verse 22. I can't say this enough. You see, we, it says in verse 18, you have not come to the mountain which was fearful Uh, that may be touched and that burn with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest. You haven't gone, come to this mountain of law, of fear, of terror, of death, of condemnation, but you have come. Now, first of all, it's notable that the you have come is in the Greek perfect tense. And as I said a little bit earlier, the Greek perfect tense means that it's an action that's done once, never to be repeated again. It's the perfect tense. Believer, you are in this reality of what is represented by Mount Zion, which points to the 
to the wonders of the new covenant, you're in it whether you feel it or not, whether you think you're in it or not, you are in this now and forever. You have come to this mountain. And verse 22, it says that Mount Zion is the city of the living God. And then in the second part of verse 22, it says this, that uh, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. Let's, speaking of heavenly Jerusalem, let's go over to Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It talks about the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then uh, one more verse, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now that's in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And uh, then a little bit later in the Revelation, Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22, it says this, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb is its light. And again, it's speaking of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. First of all, I want to quickly point out, because I realize some people might have been intimidated, a Christian, someone who's in Christ, when it says there that... uh, uh, there shall be by no means anything that defiles it or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You notice it says Lamb's book of life. Why does it say Lamb? Because of the sacrificial Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave his life for you. He is the one who shed his blood for the remission of your sins. And it is because of what he did. It is because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God 
that you have entrance into the presence of God. You are no longer considered one who defiles. You are no longer considered unclean. You are no longer an abomination or a lie. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And anyone else who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and accepts his sacrifice for them. That's good news. And I just couldn't let that opportunity go by. Now there in Revelation 21 uh, verses uh, 22 through 27, we see a beautiful city with foundations made of precious stones, walls made of pure gold and gates of pearl. This heavenly Jerusalem means you are home. Now going back to Hebrews chapter 12, where we have this mention of the heavenly Jerusalem. Let's flip back to Hebrews chapter 12. And where it says there in verse 22, you have come in the perfect tense, accomplished to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You are home. And now catch the joyful welcome for you. It's in verse 22 at the end. It says this, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You have come to an innumerable, countless company of angels. All of heaven is there in welcome. Wow. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. In other words, all of the family of God. And when it says the church of the firstborn, the firstborn refers to Jesus. And guess what? Romans 8 verse 17 says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17. And then the the whole basis of everything, the whole basis of the blessing of God, the whole basis of the turning away of the wrath of God, the whole basis of God accepting us, the whole basis of the blessing that we enjoy is because of what it says in verse 24, which really sums up what's in the new covenant in the book of Hebrews. It says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, all that we have discovered in Hebrews is all about Jesus and his perfect finished work for us. And why did this happen? so that we could be brought in a one, into a wonderful relationship with God forever. We have come to Him. And how great is the love that He has for us. It says, into the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know, from the first blood that was shed in evil, remember Cain murdered his brother Abel. From that first blood to the blood of our Redeemer, the precious Lamb of God. 
Is there anything imperfect in Jesus? No. Is there anything lacking in the purity of that blood? No. Then, dear friend, why in the world do you think you don't have enough? Jesus is your more than enough. He is the perfect Lamb of God. Just as I said, when we are in Revelation 21, those written in the Lamb's book of life. We we have the blood of our Redeemer, and that blood is for the remission of sins. And with that blood, the Redeemer purchased us. We no longer belong to the devil. We no longer belong to the world. We don't even belong to ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We belong to him. Do you know what that means? That means that God takes care of us. God provides for us. He takes care of his own. Oh, what a striking contrast between Mount Sinai, the covenant of law, and the gloom and the death that we deserve, and Mount Zion, the new covenant of grace, which we receive because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, note it says in verse 22, you have come. It's in the perfect tense. It's done. Christian, you are in this now, not some future time. And you're not going to get out of it. Why? Because as perfect as Jesus is, and as perfect as his finished work is, is as perfect the salvation and the redemption that you are in. You are not greater than Jesus. Your unrighteousness is not greater than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sin is not greater than the grace of God. You have come. You're in it now. You know, I find that most Christians react to this fantastic news with little enthusiasm. I'll share with them this stuff, and they give me almost a blank look. Why? Maybe you're reacting this way. Well, because it's been my observation that our thinking, and I put myself in the same boat, our thinking is generally fleshly thinking. It's based on our human senses, our human perception, our human understanding, and our human ability. The Bible commands us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Romans 8 verses 1 through 14 Galatians 5.16, and also verse 25. Walk by the Spirit. You know, because we believe that God, the other issue that we have, why, why why we tend not to embrace this wonderful reality of the new covenant and the grace of God, the other key reason why we struggle with this is because we believe that God relates to us based upon our goodness, and our righteousness. This is not true. God always relates to us because of his goodness and his righteousness, and that is how he is glorified most. Well, we've just waded into this wonderful good news of the new covenant, represented by Mount Zion 
And I hope in today's teaching, you've gotten a sense of the Father's love for you. Most Christians, sad to say, are not well grounded in these truths. I'm not sure why they're not being taught in the church today. And that's a tragedy because we miss out in everything that God has and means for his kids. God loves you and he loves us with an everlasting love. When I talk about everlasting love, I'm reminded of a term that comes up repeatedly in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word chesed, chesed. And this word, this wonderful rich word, which comes up mostly in the Psalms, uh, is sometimes translated unfailing love. I like that. Hesed has three concepts that are built into it. And by the way, the Hebrew word hesed is uh, cl- closest to the New Testament concept of grace. Hesed has three sort of, it, it's like a three-leg stool. And there's love, and then there is faithfulness, and then there is strength, as in strength, uh, of a strong one on behalf of a weaker one. That's the concept of said. All three of those things working together, love, faithfulness, strength. And that speaks of the love of God. It speaks of the grace of God. God is not interested in strong Christians. God is not trying to make you stronger God is trying to get you and I to rely upon him, almighty God, El Shaddai, omnipotent, to get us to rely and rest upon him. That is the secret of the Christian life. Relying on the one who is able, looking to the one who is perfect, Real Christianity is not centered upon the Christian. Real Christianity is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, next time on the Daily in Christ podcast, we're going to continue in this contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and we're going to wrap up Hebrews chapter 12 as well. But we're going to go over to Galatians chapter 4, where there is a contrast between law and grace, bondage and freedom, fleshly and spiritual, found in Sarah and Hagar. That's next time on Daily in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how strong your love is, how faithful your love is. And Father, we recognize that it isn't about our goodness but about your goodness. It isn't about our righteousness and becoming righteous enough, but Father, it's about your righteousness. It's not about our holiness, but Father, it's about your holiness. And Lord, I'm so glad for that. Thank you for such love. Thank you for expressing your commitment toward us, your faithfulness toward us in the new covenant. Thank you for Jesus, who is the one who has accomplished all. It's because of what he did and his finished work that we are at last at rest and at home with you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Before we go, listening friend, if this podcast, the Daily in Christ podcast, has been a blessing to you, would you please tell it to a few good friends? Let them know about this. I don't have any sort of uh, exotic uh, or expensive advertising budget. Truth be told, I don't have any kind of a budget at all. So I really rely on the people of God, people like you that are blessed to spread the word, encourage them to stop by the dailyinchrist.org website. That's dailyinchrist.org. You can also download the podcast at the Apple iTunes store, itunes.com or on your Apple device. Uh, Just uh, get into the iTunes apps area where uh, you can download a podcasting app. And then in the iTunes store itself, you can download the podcast. You can subscribe and it'll always be there for you. If you're on Android or the Windows platforms, Uh, I have some instructions available for how to get the podcast on a regular basis from using one of those platforms. That's, again, at our website, dailyinchrist.org. Thanks so much for making this a part of your week every week. I look forward to it as well. God bless you, and may you enjoy the wonder of his great love and grace.